0: fabulous guest speakers. And we're even going to finish with an optional Kayleigh. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. .com slash T-U-R-B-O 24. The number's 2-4. I hope you'll check it out, view all the details there, and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant vibrant, vibrant. vibrant. Music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to episode 71 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and on the show today, I'm sharing my chat with Lyndell Kennedy about her creative approach to preschool piano. Hey there, beautiful teachers. This is the last interview I'm sharing from a series I did to prepare for the publication, the putting together of my new book, which is Playful Preschool Piano Teaching. You can grab that book at playfulpreschoolpiano.com. So last but definitely not least in this series is Lindell Kennedy. Lindell Kennedy lives in Perth, Australia with her husband and their four children. She believes in a world where everyone is created to be musical. Her programs have emerged from her rich music and visual arts career spanning graphic design, videography, photography, storytelling and over 30 years of piano teaching. Her musical journey began as a young child and included opportunities to play at national level competitions through to directing school musicals and choirs, attending composition masterclasses with conductor and screen composer Brian May and conducting international teacher workshops. Lindell is passionate about encouraging students and teachers wherever they are on their journey to express their own musical identity. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lindell Kennedy. So welcome Lindell. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Nicola. I've
1: been looking forward to this all week. This is so cool. I can't wait to hang out with you. And um you know, I'm, I'm just, it's such a privilege because you're somebody who I totally respect, especially in this space of, you know, education, music education for these really little ones and I think it's so cool that you're having such an influence in that area. You know, probably it's one that traditionally hasn't been, you know, taught extensively because mm-hmm. of all sorts of different, I guess, pre um you know, things that people have taken as a presumption that, that they're not ready for it, it's too hard, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So I just love that you're really, you know, inputting into this space. It's
0: fantastic. So- oh, yeah, well, fantastic. Thank you so much. I'd love it if you could tell our listeners just a little bit first about how you came to teaching and a bit about your background for those who don't know you, Lindell. Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking, probably the best place to start is uh,
1: maybe what what my first memory of being captivated by piano playing was. And, and I would have to say that that first memory, which I didn't know was going to be so important, but in retrospect, you know how you can look back over your life and go, wow, I've carried this all through my life and now it's actually such a big part of who I am. Yeah. And that was that um, when little Australian kids grow up with watching Play School. So I don't know whether that goes far and abroad, but it's an ABC series of, you know, then it's played during the school time hours, so it's for toddlers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the presenters are just so natural and wonderful and musical and there's lots of singing and, and it's very, very down to earth. But always when they were telling stories, there was this music being played spontaneously as they told stories, they didn't necessarily read stories, they just they'd have puppets and they'd tell stories and in the background there'd be this piano music and he would whoever it was would just play, you know, oh the teddy's walking up the stairs and off this little piano sound would go until the teddy realised forgot his pyjamas and had to run all the way down to the set. And it was just fantastic. And I used to listen to the music more than I listened to the story. And the thing that really bugged me from a really young age is they never showed who was playing this fantastic. And I used to always think, oh, one day, one day they're going to show him. I. To my knowledge, they never did, although I did research it later because I was so fascinated as to whether they ever did. And I think I found one clip that had the piano man, and he was a guy I found out, <laughs> on the side um, playing the music as they told their stories. So clearly years and years of playing, play uh, of watching Play School mm. has led me to developing my program which is called Play A Story. So clearly there was something <laughs> connecting there. <laughs> So then I learned piano uh, probably when I was about seven-ish, um, which was pretty common in the day, and from all sorts of uh, um, methods and teachers from the little old lady down the road that used a ruler across my knuckles who never played a wrong note. Hopefully that's not anyone's experience mm. from, for a long time. I did a little bit of Suzuki, but I have to say the time that meant the most to me was in my early teens when I was learning in group classes with Yamaha. And I guess that was my foray into really becoming quite passionate about teaching and it was because of my teacher who was such a mentor figure in my life plus a really great friend that we shared so much in our lives together. And so she used to do all these amazing, you know, tours in Japan, at all the festivals and stuff that, Japan, uh, that Yamaha run. And while she was over there, she would just hand me her studio <laughs> and just go you know what we do you know what all these kids are up to because I used to hang out with her you know during all of her lessons I kind of knew all the kids anyway and you know she would just give me free reign (laughs) um and so yeah that was probably my first introduction to teaching and that's how it came about that was when I was about 16.
0: Okay so you're very very much thrown in yeah
1: very much and I guess I loved that I really found very comfortable. I guess it was sort of such an informal arrangement that I didn't feel that pressure and that mm. need to be marked and scored and had a great relationship with the parents of the kids because I was kind of always hanging about.
0: <laughs> Fantastic and at that stage all of the students I presume were over sevens probably like was standard at the time yes. and still is in many studios. So. When did you start to teach preschoolers? Was that much later on? Did you start your own studio? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I started
1: um, taking on students that uh, that Ronnie couldn't take on, and so and then developed my own studio. But as you said, you know, you do what you know, yeah. and unless somebody brings something new to the table, sometimes you're not even aware that it's possible. Uh, so I had, you know, the the general range of students from probably 7 to 17 type idea for many years and I used to teach you know all the way through when i was you know doing further education and when i got married and had my first bubby second bubby third bubby now when my first bubby sort of turned to about 4 or 5 years old i really of course wanted to introduce him to the piano because it was part of my life and mm-hmm. this would be awesome and so I actually had his play group come one day um, and I had a few keyboards around plus my piano that I was using to teach on. And so we used to all just sit around with keyboards that had different sounds. And I would just make up spontaneous stories because it was just a play group, it was just for fun. We used to make up spontaneous stories and they'd all choose an instrument that was, you know, the best one to describe mm-hmm. the music. Hey, it was play school all over again. It's amazing how I keep going, wow, it just keeps going back to that. It's quite, it's beautiful. I love that. And then sort of started developing this idea of making it more formal and coming up with actual stories that they could then repeat at home and find different ways to play it on the piano. And so it developed from there. So, yeah, that's how that happened.
0: (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So basically, you had your own child looked at him and thought, he could play.
1: You know? Yeah. It the right
0: <laughs> way, you know? That's awesome. So I think I know the answer to this, but our listeners won't know. So do you prefer to teach in groups, Lindell, or one-on-one? And why do you prefer the format you prefer? Right. Good question. Do you know
1: what? I, I actually love both. I really love both because I think you know, sometimes there's specific situations where I much prefer private, you know, one-on-one, and there are specific situations where I'm going, oh, my goodness, this is so cool to have a group. So maybe my, my default, my, my absolute favourite, and this is what I want most times, is, is sharing lessons. But it doesn't mean that one-on-one isn't valid and isn't something that I love. Mm probably not something that I use on the whole, um, but I think both, are, is, they're, they're great situations. So in my private situations, most of the time I'm, I'm teaching students who perhaps find it difficult socially to be in a group. Um, maybe they're kids that haven't done kindy or haven't done daycare where they're not used to a few people around them and having to fit into that space. And that doesn't mean that I won't get them in there eventually. <laughs> so often when I'm teaching one-on-one in this one specific situation, I'm actually streaming them into saying, I have a group. And at some point, we really would love to introduce, you know, your child to this group. So I guess that's where I'm always going. Um, mm. And it's a matter of it being appropriate for it to happen. I'm, I'm very choosy with my groups that I put together because I want them to be great. I want them to last. I want them to you know, be the right mix because then I've got longevity in my studio. That's a very good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But the benefits of group lessons or even shared lessons, you know, if it's just two or or three, I I love to teach. I've taught a lot up to six in a group and it's really super full on because I always have my parents in these young, young children's groups huge I mean it's a make or break so you have a lot of people in a class if you've got six kids and six adults but it works beautifully and we've got a beautiful space for it so it's mm. totally workable but um what I love in the group is that like my energy level is off the page in a group like I'm really it's exciting the kids are excited the parents are laughing we're throwing in smart little comments all the time the kids are asking great questions that just absolutely you know make me giggle at times and so there's this amazing energy that comes from quite a few people contributing to the conversation I love it because the responsibility isn't always on me to demonstrate ideas and take it to the next level. Because Mm -hmm. I'm actually learning from my students in a group, actually privately as well, but in a group, we're all learning from each other. Mm -hmm. We're inputting ideas all the time. And kids of this young age, you know, they're not all inhibited like us adults become. They're they're like, oh, I did this and blah, blah, blah. And, And other kids go, oh my goodness, I want to do that. That's so cool. So I just love that interactive energy that happens in a group. I think it's super important. I guess from a, you know, I'm a parent. I was a parent of very young children at some stage in my life. <laughs> They're all growing up now. But um, as a parent, you know, I just think the value you can give your child of just life skills, social skills, um, maintaining their attention when there are other things going on, knowing when not to interrupt and just take over the field of conversation, not, you know, knowing those social cues um, I think that's incredibly important, developing a personal responsibility about the space that we take up in a group situation. That, that's pretty amazing. Communicating effectively, resolving conflict. I mean, this is great. Dealing with personal boredom in a group. <laughs> you know, how do you yeah, that, that? happens, let's face it. You know, yeah. kids like going, you know, Oh, for the fairies, how many kids wander their eyes out my back window, you know, (laughs) up to the lights or, you know, and I've got, I record everything so the cameras and thankfully flip the screens they can't see themselves. But, you know, I can see kids doing this and it's great for me because, you know, I have techniques of getting them back but they also have to learn, oh, someone's talking to me, even though I'm in a group, I really need to maintain, you know, my interest in this and, and stick with it for the long term. So my goodness groups are amazing for so many reasons they really are.
0: yeah yeah fantastic and I mean you had such a good experience with them yourself it being your first positive experience with with piano really so right. you can see why you're so passionate about them
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so
0: cool that was
1: a great start for me to start in group because then teaching private's like yeah I'll that's easy. <laughs> maybe if you only, only taught privately, maybe, it's a, I think it's probably a bigger leap to get your head around, wow, I've never learned in a group, I've never taught a group, how will I do that? Which is why, again, these this spaces for us teachers to communicate with other teachers is so, so very cool. You know, internet's a wonderful thing.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so just to clarify, are you saying that it's the same for one-on-one time? For the half hour and group time or just the same for every age of student?
1: Okay, so I have the same time allocated uh, to my young children, the same time as my older children. I have the same time, in fact, for private or for group as well because, you know, we, we all get through stuff really well in a half hour and this way I don't have to make my lessons shorter or longer depending Mm -hmm. on particularly talking groups if one person leaves the group you know all of a sudden do I have to make the lesson shorter or if an extra person comes in do I have to make it longer all of a sudden because the number of the group's gone so time-wise I don't have any difference I do charge differently for a private lesson as compared to a shared lesson Um, and I just have two prices so if you're Sharing with one other person, even such as mm. two or more in a group, then there's a shared fee, uh, which just makes it more accessible and actually more appealing. And because mm. I love to teach in group, that's a really good thing. And you're paying a premium for me, for my sole undivided attention. <laughs> but no, you half out.
0: Yeah, and for the parent who has a child who maybe needs some private time, and you're saying we want to get them into the group, that's kind of an incentive to, for them, right? Because their fees are going to yes. go down.
1: Exactly. And and students that come in, you know, that I think, oh, I've got a group for you but I need to really work with you mm. um, and I, I let them know I'm going to work intensively for maybe a term um, to give you a whole lot of background and foundational stuff that then we're just going to stream in um, at some point at which it's appropriate and it might be a little bit longer than a term, it might be mm. a little shorter than a term, it depends how we go uh, and I will definitely charge that as
0: a private yeah. Um, lesson and then we move
1: into
2: group.
0: that's awesome so I know teachers are always curious so could you give us an idea maybe percentage wise how much is your group lesson versus your private lesson
1: yeah sure my group is about 60% of my private lesson fee
0: okay good yeah I know people just always want to hear those ratios uh, so that they can gauge it if they are going to incorporate groups and that kind of stuff
1: yeah, yep. yeah, it's good practical information to kind of mull over. And, of course, it's going to be different for everyone. It's not a, you know, it's not a one-fits-all, but, yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So I see uh, two beautiful pianos behind you there. It looks like one is maybe electric and one is acoustic. That's my beautiful,
1: beautiful, poetic European piano. And this is my fun-as-fun fun Yamaha clan.
2: I adore. Awesome. I love it.
0: <laughs> so apart from the pianos, do you use any other stuff in your lessons? Is there any other equipment you find useful and in particular find useful for the youngest students?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I use the program that I've created called Play Story. And so we have devices. We are very device-oriented and we have speakers. In fact, for my studio, my speakers come out of my clav because it's the most fantastic sound for music. But you know, all my students are encouraged when they're at home to have their device on the piano and just have you know computer speakers next to the piano, so that they're not just using the device. So yes, speakers are really important because we use a lot of backing tracks and a lot of music where we're asking, how does the music make me feel? Mm. And if you're listening to a tin pot thing like this, it's not going to
0: drive don't feel that. Anything.
1: <laughs> you don't feel anything exactly. <laughs> around you somewhat so yes speakers is super important in my studio so just to give you a bit of background so that it makes sense when I show you what other things other props I, I use our program is very story driven which you've probably picked up by now and the children have a story with an animated movie or an actual movie of the environment that belongs to the story And each of the stories is divided into several scenes. So we have three journeys. One's in the forest, one's in the ocean, and one travels around the world. So it's pretty diverse. And as such, the emotional sound, the emotional connection to each scene needs to be different. And the best way to create an emotional connection is, wow, hello, by music. (laughs) So we listen to a lot of orchestral music. That's like a, an emotional place card holder. So what I'm doing in my studio with these young children is I'm trying to develop their understanding of how does music make me feel. Because if I can understand how it makes me feel, then I can understand how to play that story across the piano, and express actually what I'm trying to express rather than it just being a series of notes to tick that box, I did it, now can we do the next scene? So in order to help them understand that emotional connection because that's a, that's quite a difficult thing to do for a three, four, five-year-old, six, actually 36-year-old often. <laughs> you know, we're not, especially in Australia and especially if they're men, you know, we're not used to being emotionally expressive. Um, in very general terms, I think it's changing. So one of the things that I use, and I've just got them here, and they're just like something I, I made myself, so if you guys are into do-it-yourself, it's very cool because these can be expensive. But, I mean, you've seen these before, they're just, you know, ribbon sticks, right? Yeah. But they're very, very, very expressive. So all I've done is get some dowling, right, and mm-hmm. a little pin. Oh, you've probably all done this yourself anyway. And some ribbon and just pop it in there and make sure it can spin around. So these are really cool in different colours. I have to say, maybe I do this for me because I think it's so glorious to see all these kids and yeah. parents playing ribbon sticks all over my studio. It's just yummy. <laughs> That's definitely what I love. Is it necessary? Nah, not all. In fact, we don't really even use them very often, but they are so fun. But this kind of chat is good because it brings back a lot of the things I used to use and I go, oh my goodness, I haven't used that for ages. I should get those out again. <laughs> Obviously, percussive instruments I, I think are great. You know, we talk a lot about um, the weather, you know, in our player stories. If we just want to do maybe a spontaneous introduction, we look outside and go, oh, my goodness, look how dark and cloudy it is. I wonder if it's going to, you know, rain tonight. And so we're looking out and, and so then I might get my students, you know, the drum. Look, I should show you something that's super fun. Have a look at this sure. So, you know, we've got all the typical paraphernalia like the drums and the shakers and the symbols and the triangles and all that stuff, which totally whip up a storm. But I've got this thing, which I don't know if you've ever seen. It's a, I don't even know what it's called. Who knows? It's actually made by Remo, so brilliant. (laughs) I must have got it from a shop. But what they do is they just do this thing and they just start twirling it and, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: How cool is that? That's that's awesome. awesome.
1: <laughs> and so we do ensembles where we're watching our movie that we eventually are going to play to, and it's got you know the mountains with the clouds being quite white and fluffy, and then it's a time-lapse into the dark sounds of the thing. There's lightning, I edited Fantastic Lightning, I feel like, whoa, oh, what a great creator! <laughs> um, and then there's rain and, and all these sort of things. So with all of these percussive instruments, the students are connecting sound. To a feeling of what's going on in in whatever way that is, and whatever story that is that they're making for themselves, and so that's the focus, you know, of my studio. Sometimes um, I'll use props like these little guys here. So talking about technique, which we might have a look at later. I'm not sure if we, you want to go there, but you know, one of the things that is a big feature in our program is the butterfly. She is everywhere. And so I have these little puppet beautiful fingers on little middle fingers. And they are beautiful. So I don't know if you can see them, but they're gorgeous and yeah. they're very artistic, right? Now have a look at my hands. There's no, there's right. no aggressive movements. I'm not, it's not, a, I don't even know how to describe it except to say, look at these butterflies and that's all I have to do with my students. Look at these yeah. butterflies. Can you do that? And whether they need the puppets or not, this
0: is our technique instruction right and there's a few other things for those who are just listening lindell has this um these beautiful finger puppets with uh butterfly wings that are really floaty butterfly wings i'd imagine they're a ganza or something so there she's floating with her hands on these butterflies and once you make the butterflies fly then Mm -hmm. uh, it's clear that's the motion that we're looking for because they they sort of float in the breeze right they don't force or push anything that's exactly to explain technique yeah
1: yeah yeah and I find everything comes down to that if I'm seeing some horrid technique happening mm-hmm. um I'll usually just be able to uh, like it just rolls off my tongue where are your butterfly hands mm-hmm. where are your butterfly hands where's your butterfly gone can you bring the butterfly back and they just it's instantaneous they just go into this magnificent butterfly position their hands relax their shoulders relax they breathe again and we're all good to go even when they're playing loud thunderstormy pieces I still want
0: butterfly hands the butterfly is still there inside the storm
1: yeah (laughs) and you know things like you know I'll explain it for your um audio listeners but you know you've seen children play with their little fingers all scrunched up in a ball Mm -hmm. as if they're pointing um and they do it you know kind of with any finger that that can occur and so I just go. Can you let go of your butterfly eggs or your caterpillar eggs, rather? Can you let go of your caterpillar eggs and they, and bring me back the butterfly wings? So out come the eggs. They drop them, and off we go. We've got butterfly wings already. So you know things like that. Everything relates to this absolutely gorgeous. Creation called the butterfly, who I think is beautiful. You know, even to the idea of often you've seen students, you know, they're playing like this and then they're trying to find the note and they flip their hand upside down to see the note underneath. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that, but I have. <laughs> and so I, you know, talk about, you know, the butterfly colors, the wings of the colors are on the top, they're not underneath, and we don't want to turn her over because she's quite modest. She doesn't like to up to see <laughs> so you know everything can be related to a butterfly when they hang on the piano with their wrists way down. Why is your butterfly clinging for dear life to the keys? Make her please fly, and things like sinking into the keys for that beautiful pianistic and piano sound. You know that she's actually. She's actually sitting, she's alighting onto the mm. petal as she drinks the pollen. But what about those great big heavy sounds? We don't want to bang them. Well, that's when our butterfly actually changes amazingly into dragon wings okay. because now we've got a very heavy butterfly, essentially, yeah. so, and, of course, the boys love that. So can we be dragon wings? Where are the dragon wings? You know, when we're playing those big mighty sounds and we're still sinking where we're actually landing in the mud for the dragons of course that's where they land and so they're landing and they're sinking. so that we there is no no sense of banging the keys or being stiff or you know it just doesn't happen if we can mm-hmm. look at technique very in you know, a real uh I guess an image of this beautiful butterfly that gives us such a great go-to so yeah. there's so I use those um They've actually got all these great little characters here which you can see. Now, I'm, I'm thinking most people who have got, you know, little people in their world have <laughs> got a ridiculous collection of all of these soft yeah. toys yeah. which okay. just keep coming. I actually use those not necessarily for technique because I I love the, you know, some of the programs that use animals for techniques for doing different movements on the piano, pianistic movements. I think it's awesome. But I have to say the reason I use these, because I have my butterfly, (laughs) she covers a lot of ground, (laughs) I use these because sometimes, you know, I'll I'll, I'll be up to a certain place in the curriculum and I have a student who's just disappeared for whatever reason, just isn't there mentally, emotionally, it happens, especially with these really young, precious kids. And so I have all of these on my shelf and I just go, hey, go grab yourself a couple of little animals, bring them over to the piano, we'll pop them up across the top of the piano there and um, let's tell their story. So, Mm. you know, the animals will do different antics. I'll often have, especially if it's one-on-one, I have the parents sitting there up next to the piano because obviously they need some sort of, you know, emotional stability at that point if it's really something that you're having to go off curriculum to give them a lesson. And the little creatures will say different things and they'll have races or they'll, you know, eat popcorn and then have their, mid, you know, eat you know, green spaghetti and then they'll eat, you know, whatever. You just, you just make it up as you go along. But they love that and that's a really cool kind of way to settle them down, bring them back to a place where there's relationship and trust and excitement. and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So that's. That's a really important part of my studio that uh, I do use quite a bit for those very young children. I have one three year old who's very shy and Mm it
0: works beautifully with her. Um, So, yeah, so they're sort of the props that I use. Yeah, fantastic. Nothing expensive besides the pianos, obviously, but everyone probably has those already. So, yeah, just simple things that make a big difference to igniting a child's imagination and getting them involved in in stories
1: yeah that's it actually that, there's another thing that i use that i'm um, probably have, i've got this on my desk Here, probably a lot of people have got you know those little lava phones. right so i have one of those as well oh, but yeah. i typically use it because i like this it's just a cardboard box and a little plastic mold now i didn't make these but oh my goodness these are great because they they get elevated as they go up
0: yeah, so they're the chime bars that are on steps for those listening. Yeah. yeah, which you will have seen. That's cool
1: because to get a young person to understand that the vertical space of up and down is now a horizontal space of up and down, that is incredibly useful. And i probably only have to use it once or twice until I've got that up and down idea, but that's a great tool.
0: Great yeah. tool. Awesome. Yeah, great way to get that message across. So how do you plan your lessons, Lindell? Or do you just take it as it comes? Or do you have a plan? And what about when the plan needs to be thrown out the window? What happens then? <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and it does, right? If, if we're all honest, it doesn't actually matter what age you're teaching. I find mm-hmm. you, a good teacher is one who you know, doesn't have a guilt complex over moving off a curriculum for a week or, to, or just having another project that just clears the head a little bit. And with young children, that's super important because they are unpredictable in their moods and also what's whatever's happened before the lesson, they're much more inclined to bring that into the lesson. So if they've had a hard day or they haven't had their afternoon nap or whatever it is, it's really going to happen. I had late napping children, <laughs> all my children napped even in preschool. <laughs> um, so, yes, I do have a curriculum and it's a it's lesson plans, really super simple because we use the PlayStreet program and each scene essentially is the next lesson. So we mm-hmm. move through the scenes, which makes it super easy for teachers uh, because we can just you know, well, we've just finished that scene, what's next? Oh, cool, we're in the pollen dance, you know, this is the rescue scene, yay, I love this one, and you just go straight into it. And because it's very explorative, which I think is essential for this young age group, then um, you're just exploring this idea with them. And, of course, we're laying down very sound theoretical concepts and technical skills that they're going to use for the rest of their lives, but... It's under the radar of playing. So, you know, it's important to say that. I'm not just throwing paint at the wall and see what it like. No, yeah. Really fun. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we are teaching. So what we do is we teach a motif. And so for these really young children, there's huge benefits in that already because they are not learning a whole song that I don't know how long will that take to learn. Maybe over several weeks you could learn a whole song. A motif of four or five notes can be covered super fast and then it's their job to improvise those notes across the piano So that works. So that's my curriculum. But what happens when I need to move away from that? Well, one component in our program, which I just think is a really powerful component, is what we call play my story. And anyone can do this. Um, So... Every week, in fact, so this is actually part of my lesson plan. But sometimes I'll spend the whole lesson on this if I have to leave my lesson plan alone. Right. Where a student already, the ongoing task of every student in my studio that's doing play story is to draw a picture at home and to have a story around that picture. So some elements that happen in that story, and then they assign a motif to each of those elements. When they then play it, they're actually playing the story around that picture. So it's a pretty simple concept uh, and they can, you know, have that very complex or very simple depending on where they are up to in how much I've taught them about playing. But it's, it's so good because it, it's a really connective thing to do with a student. The relationship you're building is amazing. So I had a case in point last week I had uh, two siblings One's three, one's five, and they actually are learning separately because one started a lot earlier than the three-year-old and she's only just come on board. And they have been very shy students, my shyest that I have ever come across, didn't know it was possible. (laughs) Non-verbal, non-active, cuddling dad who, who brings them. They are adorable kids, but it was a lot of hard work or not hard work, it was a lot of patience on my part and i had to kind of almost leave my not even a, a lot of my curriculum had to sit on the side a little bit but also my expectations had to kind of be set aside a bit because i think sometimes we work off our own agenda which yeah. pushes our lesson plan which doesn't always work <laughs> so having this play my story in the background is just it's it's amazing so we had a it was so funny because you mentioned that we were going to do this interview before I had this lesson, and I kind of thought, well, you know, one of those questions that might come up is, you know, what do you do when you have a non-responsive child who's three? <laughs> what do you do? Just you sit there? Well, I always have my parents there, so I've always got some sort of help if I need it, which is good. But I had this terrible lesson last week with both of these kids. They just went into abandonment of me (laughs) they didn't love me anymore like it was really I had to try not to take it personally it was very tough. and I knew I had this interview with you this week and I'm going oh oh my goodness it's like I was the worst teacher I've ever been in my life in that moment because I just kind of almost let go I, I was it was so perplexing I've had it in you know students who have been tricky in those young age groups but not for the entire lesson like absolutely zip and I thought oh this is terrible and so yesterday they came back for their next lesson I was surprised they turned up (laughs) but I just thought in my head okay the biggest thing I can offer these kids is a trusting relationship that says I don't judge you and I'm gonna keep moving forward in a way that really grows you as a person and respects you as a person. So with that thought, (laughs) um, the little one, the little three-year-old, had drawn this picture of dogs. Actually, not drawn. She cut out a magazine. There were nine dogs, (laughs) all separate pictures, and all the dogs dressed completely differently, had their own personalities, which I was very grateful for because there's only so many barks you can do across the piano. <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> so we pointed at them all. We we decided we would name them all. Because I just wanted her talking to me. Mm. In the very least, please just talk to me. So we named all the dogs and you know some of them had a beautiful pink fur collar and some another dog had this sort of vest with stripes on it and so he was called he was called racer. And the little one with the pink, she was called Princess. And there was a Curly, of course, and there was a Scruffy, of course. and So they all got their names. And this little girl barked on the piano for each of them, but it all sounded the same. And I thought, nah, we're going to get a little bit more inventive here. So I said to her, well, if your dog was Racer and I was my own dog, what would happen to Racer on the piano? And, of course, you know what she's going to do. She races across the piano. Of course, that's what you do. All right, now we've got Curly and so she knows the chromatics. So, you know, it's like. So we're talking the story and she's doing lots of chromatics and I'm duetting because I try and duet with everything they do uh, to create that emotional space. And, you know, um, you know, Princess, oh, my goodness, well, she was just. <laughs> <laughs> adorable. So we had this great player story for every, every personality of nine dogs, well, when we got to the race one and we had ten minutes left in the lesson, I thought, okay, so I need some sort of um, you know, theoretical component because I always teach theoretical concepts with pretty much everything that I do, and she hadn't learnt the word um, pianissimo or fortissimo, so for loud and soft, so we decided to pull the, the the race dog back in to the story and I asked her to do a racing dog where everyone was cheering really loudly in the background. And so, oh, my goodness, I mean, we had the greatest race ever. Of course, she won. <laughs> but she got off the stool and with her dad, they're jumping around and we're making all this noise and it was super fantastic. And then I sat her down and I said, now, what about a quiet race because, you know, we want pianissimo. And of course, teaching her these fantastic words that, took her a while to get into a mouth but once she got it you should have seen her beaming i mean what an achievement so we had this tiny tiptoe race and i'm going i don't even know of a race that exists that you actually tiptoe what am i gonna do Uh, i thought egg and spoon race of course (laughs) so her dad and her Pretended they had a little egg on their spoon and so their project this week is to go home and actually have an egg and spoon. <laughs> and to do the egg and spoon race on the piano and to do the race the dog with the great cheering and to learn fortissimo and pianissimo. So who could have asked for a better lesson? She had interaction, she had expectation where yes I expected her to talk to me and I was working on the basis that she would and that she would laugh and that she would smile and that she would talk and add things that she would discover beautiful music on the piano and that she would walk away with new knowledge and all of that happened off the lesson you know away from the lesson plan Mm. I guess the benefit is that our program is so principled in the way that it teaches, teaches to teach, that it becomes second nature. And, you know, I've taught, play my story in every lesson for the last ah, 10 years. So it's so instinctive and it's instinctive for my students, not because they've taught it but because they are in that space of living in a story world. They use their imaginations all the time.
0: Fantastic. It's a great concept. And I think you said you had a sample of a Play My Story that we could put, that we could share with people? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so this is a, a little student that I have. She's been learning uh, cu- uh, probably 12 months, I would say. Um, look, she's a little bit old, She's six. so she's in.
0: Is she in preschool or grade one? I, I it's different in every one. country anyway, so don't,
1: don't worry. So, yeah, so she's about six. <laughs> Just <laughs> turned six. Um, and she, in this little clip, Um, while this idea of drawing the story and having motifs attached to it and a little story, her mum writes a little story on the page so that I can read it because obviously the story is the prompter to keep the improvisation moving. Yeah. And what she was particularly working on and what was her triumphant moment on this particular lesson that I recorded that we're going to show you is that she learnt to weave each of the motifs seamlessly into the next one up till that point it had been oh look the magical key was like a rainbow and she'd play her rainbow and stop and i go oh next sentence the magical key did la 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 and she'd go oh, that was that motif and so it didn't feel like a song so we'd worked on this the week before the recording and said what I want you to do is take those motifs and make it like a song you know, where everything moves into, the music doesn't stop. And, oh, what she did was beautiful. You could still very much see the distinctions between each musical idea and concept, but you can see her thinking all the time, oh, she's not bringing the next sentence in, so I should just keep going with this motif until she does, you know, because I was reading the story. So it's it's a very exciting development in her space, moving to that next level of, individual components in a story to a flow of music that a story also shares. So, yeah, I, I think that you'll love this clip. Okay, so we have got some magical keys. Which is your favourite key? Oh, I love that one too. How did you draw these keys? Because they're all so perfect.
0: just um, oh. one I didn't really it. So didn't oh, yes, one. yes.
1: And these happen to be magical Ooh. keys. Now... Do you want to read the story while you play or do you want me to read the story while you play?
2: I want you to read the story.
1: Oh, okay. All right, let's do it that way then. Okay, are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. These are magical keys. bubbles. (laughs) And these magical bubbles fun you've had with finding different motifs and putting them all together in a story. I tell you what, you've got this. This is very cool. What you're really doing is making up a whole song using your imagination and some ideas to go with it. That's so great. Well done, high five you. Woo-hoo.
0: <laughs> great, what a fantastic example. It's so great to see these things in action. It's why I often share clips of my own teaching as well because it's a different thing to talk about than to actually see a real student like, oh, this is what it would really look like if I had a kid yeah. in front of me. Exactly.
1: And I love that you do that, Nicola. I've seen you do that a couple of
0: times um, on
1: your website or your Facebook group. I can not know where I got it there, but um, it doesn't even have to be long. It's just that yeah. little little moment of, ah, oh, oh, okay, now I can see it's like kind of putting flesh on the bones of the, of the teaching a concept. It's a great idea.
0: Beautiful. So I... I love that example of basically the practice assignment for your three-year-old last week being to play the egg and spoon race, Um, (laughs) both on the piano and off the piano with real eggs and real spoons. So what kind of practice do you expect in general? And does it vary by age? And is it always as creative and imaginative as that? Yes,
1: it's always creative and imaginative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it doesn't even have to be. Like the idea is that playing the piano is such a creative and imaginative thing, no matter what you're doing, whether you're playing repertoire, whether you're um, playing, you know, improvisation, whether you're composing. it, It is such a creative instrument. So you don't even need those other things in the background just playing the piano if you're using that idea of it being complete artistry and you're creating something beautiful then that's where you want the students. So my very young students, you know, maybe they'll practice one scene per day. So maybe you know maybe they've maybe they've got five scenes in their playlist that we've gotten up to. If they have got five scenes, I want them to at least play one of those scenes. Now a scene, okay so They play their video. Every video is two minutes long. So it's Mm -hmm. not a long time. But actually when you're playing and making up music, it feels quite long because, you know, you're working pretty hard. A song is a really long song normally. But because they're working on playing this little motif and changing it around and moving it around the piano, two minutes disappears really fast. So for my very young students, a, you know, they might sit at the piano and review for a couple of minutes with their mum or their, co- their home coach, i call them. Uh, you know, what, what's the motif for your heart song? Oh, well, then it's the A minor and you break it up. And oh, yeah, that's right. Now, for two minutes, you're going to play that. Now, you might. So whether they play that. intricately, but they're actually changing that one A minor minor the add add two in there, Mm. all up the piano, up and down, flipping it backwards, just moving two parts, all sorts of things for two minutes and that might be a practice. And then maybe the next day I'll say to the coach, so, you know, like this is what I would be saying to a coach, the next day choose a different thing that we've already worked on. Get that one on the piano because you want their fingers On the piano, and if it's a five-minute practice, it's fantastic. That is so much better than sitting there getting to the tears point at saying, "Well, it's not half an hour yet. Oh, the oven timer hasn't gone off. You know, the old oven timer. (laughs) I used to do my by the oven timer." Mum said, "I don't mind what you do. Just sit at the piano for half an hour. It's on there." And you know what? I hated boredom. So, of course, I would play. <laughs> yeah. It was much better than just sitting there. But sometimes I go, really? That's so cool, right? I can just sit here. Eventually, I go, oh my goodness, this is so boring. I need to actually do something. I'll play the piano. <laughs>
0: around. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, that's not going to work if, if you're talking about a teen who has a phone in their pocket these days. So. They definitely are not going to use that as the solution for their boredom. But yeah, I so agree with you. Just get them to the piano. That's always what I say to new parents. And especially when they're at such a young age, just getting them to the piano every day. That's it. Whatever they play, that's fine. That's their practice for the day. You know, hopefully it's something from my list. But hey, if it's not you know
1: well if it's not it's in in my case if it's not like the way I look at it if it's not it's it's actually playing something from their own imagination and Mm. oh wow I actually think that's probably better you know fantastic go for it so yeah I love it and they will naturally incorporate the new learning into what they're doing it it just naturally happens it's what we do when we learn
0: so true so you've talked mostly about the Play a Story program, which is obviously improv. At what stage would you be getting students towards reading and how would you approach that? Is that much later age or where does that fit in for you?
1: I really like my students, if they're very young, to be working um, purely piano-based mm. for, I'm going to say, 12 months, just understanding how their fingers are moving on the piano, having the freedom to play very complex music that I wouldn't dare show them what that would have looked like if I'd have recorded it into a writing software program. Right, yeah. Unbelievably, you know, (laughs) complex. So, um, So I love to have my students for 12 months before we move into reading and writing or actually repertoire. But come repertoire, I'm a huge fan of teaching by rote with the music in front of us.
0: Okay, so,
1: so I I love you know, and so I'm developing a program at the moment that introduces repertoire in a very simple simple form. That I'm teaching by rote, but I have the music in front of me, and I am actually referring mostly to the contours. They're yeah. so just learning the contours, and um, as far as rhythm goes, they're using their ears, and of course we're tapping and we're clapping and we're on our knees and we're miming and all of that stuff. So that's the rhythm part is in their bodies and listening to the tune as they get to know it. But watching the contours of music super cool. And then what happens is that, uh, you know, they might get quite a few songs in that repertoire. And then we go back and all of those repertoire pieces are with extra notes filled in so that at any point, whether my student is, you know, four at this stage or five at this stage and coming into that first repertoire um, zone, they're looking at music that's simple enough for me to, you know, put a little pencil along and follow along and say, look, that goes up, blah, 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 blah. If I have a student who's maybe seven or eight and maybe has already done some repertoire uh, or even done some reading because we have another one called Score A Story, which is a reading composition program, if they've done that, they're ready to jump in to moving through the more complex arrangements of those pieces. So, right. That's a really cool way to teach reading and repertoire in a kind of hybrid situation. So mm-hmm. I don't know; I'm, I'm experimenting with that at the moment and getting some amazing results. Um, and then the final progress of that is actually seeing those pieces written in every single key, so that they're truly reading every time they play and getting used to mapping the scale yeah. out on piano. You know, so. You know, there's no end is there to how far we can take students if we're doing it incrementally, step-by-step step, at, at a developmentally appropriate stage. So yeah. that's why I defer the reading because I think it needs to wait until we've really established a great relationship with the piano.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And one of the things that I love most about having starting students really young at three or four years old is that you have the luxury of time so if you start a student at age 10 you're pretty stuck because that student is going to expect it to look kind of like their peers who maybe have already been learning for several years and you have to push these things forward and you have to start reading pretty early on or you know you're going to be stuck and the parents are going to say what are you doing but If they start at age three, you've got all this time. You've got seven years before they're ten. You know.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point,
0: Nicola. Awesome. I totally agree. So, so listening is obviously core to what you're doing, and you've talked about movement and clapping. I'm wondering whether you ever sing in your studio. Do you use the voice to explore these stories? Yeah,
1: great question. Um, gosh. I would have to say that during, so while they're playing player story, a lot of our motifs are harmony driven. You know, a lot of them are chords that are put together, maybe broken up, but they're still very much based on a chordal concept because I think the keyboard is essentially a fantastic um, place to learn about chords because it's so visual. So it's very difficult to voice harmonies. You can't do it. (laughs) The other thing is that with improvisation, it's very difficult to voice improvisation because you're not learning a particular song that then you can sing. You're, you're playing as you go and it's hard for your voice to go, oh, I know where you were going there. So as far as the improvisation part, they probably don't voice as much um, as they do as when they're, you know, learning repertoire, for example, mm. where you can actually have a melody that you sing along with. Having said that, because it's so, because Play Story is so chord-based, they are learning straight off the you know the band um, I think about the third scene. the third scene is developing C F and G chords and about the fifth scene they're adding A minor and D minor. So we've got a lot of you know equipment there mm. to be able to play accompaniment. So if they're playing you know twinkle twinkle they could just have a basic accompaniment pattern underneath but singing the voice. So twinkle
2: twinkle, twinkle, twinkle start.
1: And they keep going along. So they're getting that vocal singing, which is so important as human beings to sing. And the other thing is before they start even knowing those chords, I'll play these songs on the piano and they're all singing in the background with the parents. I have this fantastic choir happening. So, you know, that becomes a part of the lesson. That's sort of one of those off-curriculum things that I love to add as well if we need to sort of get some wriggles out,
0: especially in a group. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, you've given us so much insight into your lessons and your playful and story-based approach to teaching, which I love. I would love it if you could just give us some final words of wisdom. If you have any tips for maybe thinking back to when you first started teaching these young students, what for a teacher who's never taught the three to five-year-old group before, what are some tips you might give them and what are some mistakes that you might tell them to maybe avoid? Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, right. You know what, I've kind of said it already but I think that with these very young children, if you're fixated on your own agenda of ticking the boxes of a set curriculum or not even a set curriculum but your expectations. Your idea, you should, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're going to get anxious because these young children don't develop that way. Um, you know, they're not little robots that you can just program and plug in and add the next level when you know you need to because they need to be progressing on the same point you need to communicate that to your parents because often they have no idea they're just often they're just conditioned by you know maybe they've got older siblings in school and they're on a tick the box curriculum because that's how schools operate i'm sure if that's best but there it is and so they're going to reflect yeah they're going to reflect that on beautiful children who actually should be just exploring their world in my opinion so um that would be the biggest thing I would say is don't feel that you have to stick with an agenda because your parents your you know parents of your kids expect it or if you expect it having said that we can't just play around you know they're, they're paying good money we can't just Play around and hope we're going to hit some buttons somewhere it's not a child-centered curriculum that i'm asking you to you know consider use curriculum as your basis and then weave other things in that support that when needed so that that whole idea that i was talking about a lot of people also have said to me uh in the past oh it's so great that you can teach group and really little kids." because you've got the personality that goes with that, but my personality is not yours. I'm not nothing like you. I'm quite shy and I'm quite this and I'm quite that. And they set this idea up that teaching young children even is something that some people can do and some people can't do. And I just think, just be open. Be open to the idea. They're just human beings that we can interact with and talk with and you don't have to turn into a child to be able to relate to a child. Not at all. You can have your own personality of all of the complexities of life that you've been given and be able to still relate to a young child because you actually were there once. Maybe you have your own children but, you know, maybe you don't and maybe that's the barrier that says, oh, I can't do it because I don't have children and I'm not natural at it. I would say if there's a need for teaching young children in your area and you're giving away students because you don't feel you have the personality for it i'm just going to say let these children teach you mm. let them be your teachers they they will open you up they will melt your heart they will teach you to be creative in your own personality space you don't have to be anybody else nobody else be your own self everyone else is taken your spot is there for you to be to that child what they need from you and allow them to develop you as a a teacher of young children I learn from my students all the time my best lessons from my my students yeah yeah
0: no I so agree with you I some of my best lessons have been from my youngest students especially because you just have no choice but to learn about where they are and go to them and that can teach you as a teacher you know what you need to do for that in your own style, as you're saying. It's not that you have to be like Lindell or that you have to be like me. We're both already different. You've got two very different examples. You be you and do it your yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. And, and I think that frees us up to take the pressure off us because yeah. you know, we don't have to apologise for who we are ever. We are so beautifully unique and we have... A voice that needs to be heard amongst our little children. We have to give them the gift of us and how mm-hmm. we teach. It's wonderful.
0: Beautiful. What a wonderful note to the end on. Thank you so much for joining me for this, Lindell. It was wonderful to hear how you bring all of these imaginative ideas to your youngest students. Tell us where we can find about out about you and play a story. Yeah, so
1: fantastic. You can jump onto uh, our website, which is innermusician.com. So that's I N N E R musician.com. And that will take you to our player story curriculum. You can have a little scoot through there. Awesome. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much again, Dr. Oh, Sue. Thank you. Uh, it was super fun just spending this time with you.
0: Well, that's it for our interview series all about preschool piano teaching. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back to our regular solo shows where I talk about something that's important to me and try to help you through your teaching struggles and inspire you to try new things in your teaching next week. You can pick up the book at playfulpreschoolpiano.com if you don't have it already. And if you're a member, you can see the video version of this interview in the video library. So if you're not a member, sign up at vmt.ninja to get access. And if you're a member, just jump on over to the video library. You can see Lindell as she talks about those beautiful butterflies. So I think this is a great one to watch. That's it for this week. I'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. If you are enjoying the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast, you might like to check out our paid community at vibrantmusicteaching.com. This is the perfect place to level up your teaching, get inspiration, new printables, and full courses and lesson plans to use in your music teaching studio. Find out more and sign up at vibrantmusicteaching.com.